0: Welcome to the Everything EC podcast. I'm your host, Carla Ward, and joining me today is Laura Hansen, a fellow Wonderled educator, trauma-informed specialist, and the founder of Growing Strong Connections. Welcome to the show, Laura. Thank you. It's nice to be here. I am so glad that I finally got you on the podcast because we've been trying for a few years now to make sure that our schedules align. And we're going to talk about something that I am very passionate about, but I think you actually even have one step further on a different spin, and that is risky play. So tell us a little bit about yourself and your journey as an educator and how you got to where you are today. Okay,
1: well, I I am a mom and a grandma now, and uh, ever since I was probably, I don't know, 10-ish years old, I always wanted to be a, a teacher. I think like many people in the early childhood, we all played school or had, you know, some dreams of of being uh, some sort of educator. And my goals were always to teach kindergarten. I felt like at that age, you know, they're old enough to be able to do things that I thought you needed, you know, to do, you know, like to sit still yes. and, and all those things and, and to learn. But they weren't so old that they hated school yet. Yes. I know for myself, the older you got in school, the more you... Found things you didn't like about being in school, and and so I, you know, went off off to school for that. And found um, when I did a minor in early childhood, that that was kind of more of my interest. And then I had my own kids, and you know, part of my journey was realizing I didn't have the the skills and the, the talents that I thought I, I had because you no, know, now they're my children, and it was different. And so I, you know, took a pause and was raising my kids for a lot of years, and during that time finding all the things I didn't know, especially around behaviors and where my struggles were. So I started researching in different ways. And so I basically spent 27 years researching behaviors and child development and aspects of mental health and just the way kids work. Got into working in an early childhood center in like 2013 and saw one that was, the school happened to be more play-based and saw that that could actually work. And that you could have free play the majority of your day and uh, get all the benefits from it. And I thought, wow, this is really cool. Uh, we moved uh, back to where I currently live now and went into some programs to work. And nothing was the same as where I worked in at the other oh, school. Wow. Uh, that was really shocking. And everything was very much like being in what I remember, like third grade, fourth grade. And these are two, three, four or five year olds. So I've been searching for that for a long time, worked at several different centers, was an assistant director for a couple of years and was able to kind of like hone that place into more like the school that I had worked at that, you know, had function. But it wasn't until the pandemic when an opportunity opened up at a school that I didn't know existed for 50 years in the city that I live and grew up in had an opening and uh, I went into that school and they are a part-time program and it is uh, play-based and it was very social, emotional oriented. Through being there, I have like grown exponentially in how I view children and how I view play and just how wonderful early childhood can be for children when the philosophy and when the support of not only the administrators but the staff and the families is all like with the same goal nurturing and growing humans yes <laughs> and into being the best that they can be and not so focused on one piece here or one piece there or you know but growing the whole person. Yes. Um, so,
0: so that's how I ended up where I am. Oh my gosh. You, know? you and I know this we went through the same certification for Wonderled. We know that power of play. And when you've been in the field as long as you and I have, you've seen both sides of the coin. And once you've embraced play, you realize how much the themes, the flashcards, the worksheets, you realize how much they're not working when you see the growth that comes from play. Like it's just crazy how much play works. And something we're going to talk about today is risky play. And you and I kind of have two different takes on it because I came in thinking physical, but I love your take. So let's let me ask you the question What is your definition of risky play?
1: I guess it would be putting yourself, whether that is your body or your heart, your emotions, in a position where there's a potential for failure or to get hurt. Yes.
0: I love that. It didn't, I didn't even think about the social emotional piece of risky play. It's so important because you can't do the physical without the emotional. So I just, I love this concept. And I came into this interview thinking one thing and you've already flipped me on my head with something (laughs) else. So let's dive into that. Like, How do you encourage emotional or social emotional risky play in a program?
1: Well, it's going to go against what everybody wants to do. And that is, everybody w- wants to be more teacher focused and more controlling of the environment and controlling of the routine in the day. And that doesn't usually allow for too many opportunities for social and emotional risk because you're not allowing too many opportunities for kids to bump into each other and to have some sort of conflict or to even negotiate something. So it it works. If you are more child led, if you do have more free play opportunities, because they're naturally going to come up. And when you take a group, like we have 18 children in our class, and you take that group in the beginning, you know, most of them are not going to know each other. So you've got to, set up things for where they can kind of interact with each other. And you have to allow conflict over materials and that, you know, negotiating how you work that out. You also have to, to work at trying to support them into, you know, making connections with each other. And so, you know, setting up activities and environments and group times and smaller, smaller group settings, and even in the large group setting that allow them to kind of, get to know each other in in a more intimate way, you know, so you're not necessarily taking the whole room and let's sit down at rug time and let's now try to go around the circle and learn something about each other. You know, for some kids, that's too big of a, of a social or emotional risk and they're going to shut down. And so like, but through all the things that you utilize in the day, you're presenting opportunities for a social risk for an emotional risk. And so if you go at it with that intention of, You know, uh, what skill are they going to need in order to to grow as a person and to interact in this world? And then where can I, you know, intentionally place an opportunity for that? Or where is a place that's coming up that I can intentionally go and teach that skill, you know, through coaching, through modeling, because you're not going to just leave them to figure it out. If they're having a conflict, you want to go in and you want to to support and coach them through the process give them language to use model language you know for them in the way that you're talking to them you're you're going at it with this this idea that this skill is what's going to serve them later on you know giving them the worksheet of the of the abc's yes that may serve them later on but they're going to pick that up eventually they need to have some of these social and emotional skills in order to be able to sit later to do that action, that
0: worksheet that you want them to do. Yes. And just think about us as adults. If you cannot express your feelings, have conflict resolution, you are going to go through life constantly hitting walls, struggling to find connection in a place of work, in your marriage, in a relationship with a partner, with friends like that is a skill that you need to be a regulated adult right yes. like
1: oh my gosh and i just love how that. many of us how many of us have missed that i mean i know that for myself that's not a skill that i feel like i had i that's something that i feel like has been like really strongly developing in maybe like the last five or so years like there's enough things that have happened where i've realized i can't stop avoiding conflict because it's uncomfortable and because I don't know what to do. And because I'm, you know, afraid that if I speak up for myself, that this person's not going to like me anymore. You know, it's all that, that people pleasing kind of stuff that we've all like got different versions of showing up for us, you know? And so so if you go back to, you know, thinking, you know, how many adults, you know, have difficulty in these areas, it's, it is most likely because they didn't really ever have the skill given to them. Or if the skill was given to them, it wasn't allowed to have enough opportunity for practice for it to really settle in for you to then, you know, move forward. And so that's why, I mean, I feel it's my, my personal opinion that the early years really, I mean, it should keep going after that, but the two, three, four, five, six, the whole the whole goal should be let's play and have these opportunities come up to build these social emotional skills because they're being able to have that, that ability to speak up for yourself, you know, to, to advocate for yourself, to be able to defend yourself when someone is, you know, taking, taking something, or you know, being able to say stop to something to someone again, that's still, I guess, advocating for yourself, but having all those things, it gives you the skills later on then when you're in school. To, to know I'm struggling with something here and you'll go and ask for help so for support because you've had that practice and you know that that is a skill that you can do. And you, you know that, you know, educators then are supposed to be the people that you can go to for help. You can go and say, hey, I don't understand this lesson. Can you explain it again? Yes. Whereas how many kids don't have that, that confidence to try that because the people that they've tried to ask help from before maybe dismissed them as because they didn't think that their question was important or whatever. So, you know, it's not only about the kids being able to have the opportunities to practice it, but it also has to be the adults being comfortable enough to realize that it's important and that they might have some of the same discomfort themselves. And this is now an opportunity for them to practice that as well.
0: Oh, absolutely. (laughs) And so much of our practice is dealing with our own biases, personal beliefs, so much unlearning needs to happen from our own childhoods and our own upbringings, from classroom experiences to our personal households, to how adults reacted to us. Especially if you learn it when you know you're two, three, four, five, six, that your voice matters, then children feel valued. They don't feel, you know, if an adult dismisses their question, they know it's that adult's problem, not their problem. But it's our job is early childhood educators to help them feel strong with their own voices.
1: Yeah. And if you think about how many times on the the playground, you know, kids are interacting and, and doing something and someone, you know, especially I work with threes. So there's, you know, lots of toy taking because, you know, depending on where they are developmentally, you know, they might be impulsive. They might also never have had the opportunity to, like have ownership of, a, of an item because they've got siblings or whatnot. They've always been told to share. And so like, you know, there's this, all these these pieces, you know, that they're struggling with. And how how nice is it if that happens to you to be able to go to that person and say, hey, give that back. I'm still using it, yes. you know, as opposed to just having it taken away or, you know, then getting into a physical altercation with each other because someone took it, you know. And that's where... When you're working with social and emotional risks, you really have to be the observant teacher and you, you really have to know, get to know your children and build those relationships and connections with the kids that you're working with so that you can understand, okay, which kid might be more likely to go physical with their, you know, frustration over something so that you can be there first, so that you can help them practice remembering to to use words and also giving them the words you can't just say use your words but never give them any words to use because so true. They, they're three they don't have words <laughs> they yes. need words you know so it's like being being able to to know your children to observe them and to be willing to go in there and intervene when necessary but also knowing when to sit back and wait yeah and allow them the opportunity to kind of work some things out before you come in, yeah, and that will happen the more that you give them opportunities and the more that you are coaching with them, then they'll be able to pull from those things. And so then you know you're coming in at a different time, but with all of the risks that we take in in our program, that we allow that you know the kids to, to take. We're always looking at it with the mindset of. What's the worst that can happen if they're, doing, you know, if they're doing this? How likely is it to happen? And then, you know, what, what am I uncomfortable with? So there are lots of times where, say, if you go back to physical risks, you know, maybe a kid is coming up with an idea of, say, you know, we've had kids in the past where they've wanted to take our little um, motorcycles, you know, that you can ride on those, you know, classic little tykes motorcycles to the top of the slide and they want to ride down the slide. I could shut that down immediately with just a, no, we don't use that there. That's not how you do that. But I'm not going in it that way. I'm going to go over to them. I'm going to get myself there as quickly as I can before they go down. And I'm going to say, what's your plan? You know, what's your idea here? And I'm going to let them talk me through it. And then, you know, if they are saying, I want to write this down, okay, you know, well, do you, you know, can you tell me more about that? let's see if they've really thought it out, you know, and then I might negotiate with them, you know, my reasons why I think that or if I if I have more information, you know, I know that if you do this, you could tip this way, tip that way, whenever I could provide them information, or I could say, you know, you know, I'm not sure that this is going to work, but I'm going to stand here and let's see what happens, you know, and so then I'm putting myself there as the protector so that this child isn't injured you know, and, and giving them opportunity, which we we've had success with some kids doing that. We've had success or we've had some kids where it wasn't going to work and it, and it didn't, but there, there could be something like that taking place. And, you know, when there are three of us are outside on the the playground with the kids and something like that comes up a lot of times before shutting something down, if we're just still monitoring and there isn't that need to immediately be there, but I'm uncomfortable. I will go to one of the other teachers and say, uh, that, that going on over there, that's making me really uncomfortable. Talk me through this, you know, it's like, how do you feel? You know? And so that gives an opportunity to know, is this a me problem? And the other teacher is like, yeah, I have no problem with that. They're, yeah, they, they look good. And I know, okay, can you monitor that then? Cause this, this is really, I'm seeing them fall and crack their head open and, you know, and all this stuff. And it's like, oh, I don't see that at all, you know, from the other teachers. So it's that opportunity to kind of talk to each other you know and and talk through that to know is this something that really needs shut down or is this something that needs coaching? like I see that you're really wanting to do this. here's what I know about that. Now I'm wondering what we could do instead so that you can kind of give them a version of what it is that they're wanting to do while also keeping them safe. So you're not having to shut the whole thing down. you're caught you're getting them to think, you know and to problem solve with you of, How can we, how can we do this in a way that keeps everybody safe? And sometimes you might even have to say, I'm really uncomfortable with this right now. So I know that Carla is not uncomfortable with that, but she's inside with the other kids. When she comes out, we'll talk to her and see if you can do this then. But for right now, I'm too uncomfortable with this and I need to keep everybody safe. So I'm going to ask you to wait on that. So I love this.
0: You're giving them lots of, of feedback on things. You're also modeling how to be responsive, not reactive. And I think I I can speak from my own personal experience as an educator. There has been incidences where I've reacted versus responded because I am nervous and I am worried that the child is going to, you know, go down the slide on a little take. And I've reacted (laughs) because I was uncomfortable versus doing what you just talked about. And I love this is having a conversation because that's what you would do with an adult and children are human beings and deserve to talk out their thought processes and discuss the risk. I just, I love it. I absolutely love it.
1: Yeah. And lots of times when you, when you talk with them, you might find out that they hadn't really thought it all through. And so now maybe you guys do think it the rest of the way through and they try something and it works or it doesn't. Or maybe they had this whole thing thought out and they had plotted different things that you didn't even see that you were like, Oh, okay. Yeah. I kind of jumped real quick to a a no on that thinking that this was going to happen, but I see you've already thought X, Y, and Z, and I didn't even see those at all. Mm -hmm. And so I think it, it values them as, you know, as capable and, you know, as, as critical thinkers and isn't that what we want is we want them to problem problem solve and to think critically later on so you have to allow opportunities for that and by you know knowing your kids and observing your kids and asking those questions going in with curiosity and wonder you know like we learned in in our wonder led education you know if you go in with curiosity and wonder in the situation nine times out of ten you're you're going to come up with something that is so incredible that you were like, huh, never even thought about that, you know, or you're, you're going to give them an opportunity to come up with something for themselves that, you know, really is kind of sticking up, sticking with them. Then you can give them those opportunities to practice it.
0: Yes. Oh my gosh. I just next level risky play because it is the social emotional because the risk there was that physical risk of going down the slide on the tyke, but that's not what the learning part was the social emotional was the risky part because they had to get through that before they even physically went down the slide and i think that is just spot on
1: yeah i mean and you might have your kids that are you know really impulsive and whatever and so they're not they're not thinking and they're just doing and so, you know, that's that's kind of when you gotta come in and when you're asking them, hey, what's your plan? You know, you're, you're pushing that pause on, on the impulse and yes. you're getting them to now think about what it is that they're doing. Now, are you gonna make it for every single thing that these kids do? No. But I think if you look at the situations with more of that curiosity and you start asking those questions and and you are able to get there in those different instances and you allow the opportunities for them, they're going to begin to trust in you and knowing that you trust in them. And so I think that that can cut down on some of that impulsivity because you've had that relationship, because you're building that mutual trust with each other. So you know they're they're going to learn a little bit of that pause, or they're you're I don't know you're just going to learn each other's ways, and yes. you know and then I think that that can help reduce some of those up some of those impulses. Now I could be completely wrong on that, but it just it feels like when you get that relationship with some of them, they they kind of learn their themselves a little bit better.
0: Absolutely, and they're able to do. That. And if we support them, we become that little voice in their head in years to come, which kind of says to them, okay, slow down, stop, and think. Because also, it helps them be responsive versus reactive because in early childhood, there's always an educator on that playground. Come elementary school, yeah, there's somebody on the playground, but it's very, very easy to be out of sight, out of mind. And you want to make sure that we give them the coping skills to stand up for themselves, not be reactive and respond to a situation. If there is not an adult there to support them. Right. Oh, right. I love it.
1: Well, I mean, if you think about, I mean, we the, the social risks and stuff too, and just what it takes to be able to ask another kid to play, you know, or to face that rejection, and that's where uh, we use a lot of puppet shows, you know, to model some of that. And then, you know, just giving playful ways to en- engage. I have one activity I love to do that is, it's called the jumping song. And so basically it's, you can do it in large group or small group and it's having the kids, you ask them, you know, would you like to jump alone or with a, with someone? And so then they were, you know, taking that choice. And then if they say with someone, then it's now it's a risk because now it's like, okay, who would you like to ask? And so then they're kind of looking and then it like helps them to learn names because they might say that one right there. And so it's like, oh, well, you can ask what their name is. And so then you're like modeling, you know, if you want to dance, if you want to do this with this person, you already know you play with this person all the time. You don't know their name, but now you're actually having to ask them to do it. And so then, you know, they're like, OK, you, so they ask their name. OK, what's, what's your name? My name is is Carla. Carla, do you want to jump with me? Now, they, you might say yes, you might say no. And I've had lots of kids who have been told no by the whole group. And they're like, they've asked everybody and they've been told no. And so I say, OK, it sounds like nobody else wants to jump right now. Do you want to jump alone or would you like to jump with me? So then I'm giving them another opportunity for something. And some of them say, I'll jump alone okay. And so we do it with all the enthusiasm as if they had somebody else that was with them, but that, that is a way, you know, that they can practice some of that and it's playful, but it's also not playful because the actual, when you get to the jumping part is like the fun and playful, but they kind of had this, you know, build up before of practicing some skills. Now I've had some kids when we go around to do it and I'll ask them if they would like to jump, they, they don't want to. And because that's too much of a risk at that time. But over time of watching, you know, because a lot of some kids are those observers and seeing how this game works at times when we do that, then they'll take that risk and and they'll try it. But it's just different little things like that. You, educators don't always think about all of the nuances in every step, like just breaking down that simple step of wanting a toy that somebody is having or wanting to ask somebody to do this activity takes a lot. Like we're just so we're used to all of the things and all of the stages that we just do naturally or steps that we do naturally. But it takes a lot for a kid to know, oh, I've got to put my book bag in this cubby and take off my coat and do this and do that. But I'm also watching that seven other kids are here right now and somebody's in the kitchen and somebody's doing this and somebody's doing that. And there's those adults over there that are talking. And now the teacher's asking me this question. And it's like, that's just a lot for a, a person to take in. You know, it's like it, wherever your brain falls, it, it is a lot to have happening at one time. And then when you've only been on the planet for three years and you've only been walking and talking for say a year and a half, it, you know, it's like that this it's is true. a lot to digest. So there's a lot of risk that kids take every single day and every single interaction they have with people. And so giving them skills and words and ways to practice it is nurturing them because they're doing it every day without any real support and when instead with a ton of expectations.
0: Well, that's exactly it. And That is where we really have to take our role seriously and support that because they can't do it alone because they don't know how. It loops back to the use your words. Okay, well, I don't have that in my toolbox right now. So educators, we need to give them the tools so that they can reach those later. Right. And being
1: observant to know where, are you know, I love the brain science. So what part of the brain are they in right now? If they're in a conflict, they're likely not in the thinking part of their brain that is still very underdeveloped. They're in the the amygdala, you know, this the fight, flight, freeze, survival mode. And so they're really not going to access those words in that moment. They're going to need supported and coached through the process as they practice, at least, you know, from now until they're 10. (laughs) You know, they're going to need lots of support and practice and and coaching to get through those, those stages, because that's where they're going naturally, their, their nervous system is reacting, and they can't always access what they need to. And knowing as the adult that you may be triggered, so then your nervous system is reacting. So are you in your best thinking brain mode? or, Or are you in your responding mode? and the reacting mode
0: so it's like they all it's all intertwined we really touched on something that I've I do in my practice but I've never thought about it as the social emotional Mm -hmm. risky play and that's what it is play does come with risks especially the social emotional and it's something that we do need to support and most educators are supporting it but I think we dove into that next level which I'm excited for educators to listen to and take back to their programs and support their students. This has been absolutely fantastic. <laughs> Laura, tell me how people can connect with you if they want to dive deeper into the social emotional of risky play, or just get in touch with you for coaching. Sure. Yeah. Um. They can go to my um,
1: email account right now. I'm in the process of creating my website, so. Um, when that gets up and running, I will definitely give you uh, that information. But my email right now is growingstrongconnections at gmail.com. They can reach out to me there and uh, I'll see what I can answer or how I can help them.
0: Perfect. So Laura, thank you so much for coming on the show today. And I know that you're going to be back on to talk to us about other topics in the future. So thank you so much. Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate the opportunity.